As a health professional, beauty and aging are the centerpiece of my research. And one thing is clear, if you want to age well, you would better keep your NAD levels high. NAD is a molecule in the human body that is vital to aging well and remaining youthful in so many ways. NAD creates energy, maintains healthy DNA, detects and uses nutrients efficiently, and even protects your cellular health. Unfortunately, from age 30 to age 70, NAD levels decline up to 65%. Simply put, when your NAD levels decline, aging accelerates. That's why if you care about aging well, you need to get Qualia NAD. Qualia NAD is a clinically tested supplement that can boost your NAD levels up to 50%. It's a vegan, non-GMO blend of three key naturally derived ingredients called NAD precursors that your body can readily convert into NAD. And 11 additional ingredients that support your body's NAD production. Qualia NAD is the easiest way to support your NAD levels deep into life, so you can stop losing one of the most vital molecules in your body for remaining youthful and in your prime. So if you're over 30, help stop your declining NAD levels with Qualia NAD risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com forward slash radiance and use code radiance will score you an additional 15% off. That's qualia NAD at neurohacker.com forward slash radiance with code radiance to age incredibly well from the inside out. Welcome to the Rachel Varga podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Varga, double board certified aesthetic nurse specialist since 2011 with over 20,000 rejuvenation procedures performed. I'm an international clinical trainer for other physicians and nurses as well, celebrity skin expert, having been featured on some of the world's top proactive aging podcasts and much, much more. Learn more at rachelvarga.ca and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's live recording on the Rachel Varga podcast. In today's show, we will learn which rejuvenation options may actually be making you sick. And we are going to learn about breast implant illness and recovery tips, because that's all kind of part of the conversation. What have we maybe done to ourselves over the years, which can maybe be actually aging us? And how can we work with maybe what we have and where we're at to optimize our aging journey and slow things down as much as we possibly can to look and feel our best in the process. If you're new here, I'm so thrilled to have you joining me here. In the podcast here, we talk about body, mind, spirit, energy, optimization strategies to help you become your most beautiful, radiant, and vibrant version from now and for many more years to come. If you're new here, please go ahead and subscribe on the Rachel Varga podcast, the YouTube channel, and on Facebook as well. Don't forget to hit the bell notification on YouTube so that you know when I go live next. And if you would like information on my upcoming live streams, go ahead and join my newsletter at rachelvarga.ca where you will also find information on ways to work with me one-on-one and download my free sophisticated skin cheat sheet to help you optimize your skin and rejuvenation at home right now. So let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. We have Sarah Felipe joining us here today. She's a friend of mine. I've known Sarah now for about 
say four years, and she has been on the show before. So it's great to have Sarah back. Sarah has a passion for restoring health that has taken her along a path from RN to becoming a certified functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, true cellular detox practitioner, and breast implant illness expert. She believes the solution to reversing breast implant illness is about more than just the explant. And that we all need to take personal responsibility for restoring our health by addressing all of the root causes that contribute to chronic illness. It is Sarah's belief that the body has an innate desire to heal itself. Get, just give it what it needs. And she focuses on teaching women how to unlock that innate intelligence and heal themselves. Welcome, Sarah Felipe. It's great to have you on the show. How are you today? Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here with you again and just talking about this topic and sharing it with your audience. So I'm excited. Absolutely. Coming to know you, Sarah, and your work and some of the information around toxicity and breast implant illness, I just have to say very, very candidly to everyone in the audience here, that is people like you that have really opened my eyes up, having been in the aesthetic rejuvenation space for over 10 years. There were a lot of things that I was never taught about when learning about these different rejuvenation options. So because of people like you who've really helped me understand the functional side of things and also some of the dangers and things we really need to be aware of and contraindications, I've actually been able to add that type of information into my latest research articles, which you can all find at rachelvargadossier forward slash slash research. And really what I'm trying to do is just create awareness in the aesthetics industry that all of these treatments are not maybe the best thing for everybody. Uh, we find that with many things in rejuvenation and medicine, we cannot take this cookie cutter approach. We need to look at one another as the beautiful, wonderful individuals that we are. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, Sarah, are some of our rejuvenation treatments actually making us age faster? Well, I think, you know, my focus being on breast implant illness, that is where I spend the majority of my time researching. And so I can say absolutely without a doubt that, yes, I believe breast implants and I think any implantable devices have the, the potential to age us faster. And so it's not just subject to the breast implants alone, but, you know, there's chin implants and butt implants and cheek implants and all these different types of things that can um impact the immune system, impact, you know, detoxification pathways and really increase the level of oxidative stress in the body. And that can age our cells faster. And that's reflected on the outside by what we look like. Right. So I think there's absolutely some truth to that for sure. I absolutely agree. Knowing what I know now, especially about our detoxification pathways, the skin is actually our largest organ yes. and has a huge responsibility for detoxification. And if yeah. stuff's haywire on the inside, your skin is absolutely going to display it. And mm -hmm. with all of these rejuvenation treatments on the market, both surgical, non-surgical, invasive or non-invasive, there's many different categories. Like, for example, Botox and fillers. Botox is just a brand name, by the way. And then there's mm -hmm. all these lasers out there as well. There's um, all, there's alternatives to breast implants now with fat transfer and all of that. But all of these options do carry a degree of risk. 
And everything we talk about here is not medical advice. It's educational information only. If you think you have medical condition, if you're suspecting breast implant illness, or you just want to talk about something with your physician, I recommend that you consult with them before making any lifestyle modifications. But I would echo the sentiment that in some individuals, rejuvenation procedures can actually make them age faster via the mechanism of oxidative stress and inflammation, especially if the body is kind of unable to handle that one additional type of quote unquote implant in the body, it can be that one thing that breaks the camel's back. Mm -hmm. So thank you for providing awareness on it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just go right into your area of expertise and tell us all what really is breast implant illness? Okay, so it's a very, I would say it's simple to explain on the one hand, but a much more complicated subject than, than, you know, we really know thus far, or fully, we don't fully understand it yet, because there just hasn't been enough research. But, um, you know, it's a really important topic to cover, because, it, you know, I think the last time I looked it up, there was it, I um, discovered there was 300 women, sorry, 300,000 women every year in the US that get that receive breast implants for a variety of reasons. And it may not just be cosmetic, it can be for other purposes too, you know, um, mastectomies, things like that, right? So um, it has the potential to impact a huge number of people. And it really truly is becoming an epidemic. Um, And it's being referred to, and I would, I also refer it to it as a ticking time bomb. So it's not necessarily a matter of if, but potentially it could be a matter of when. I don't know if that's going to be the case for everyone. Um, And we can't make these mass generalizations about every single person, of course. But, um, you know, when we think about that term, the straw that broke the camel's back, as you mentioned, the breast implants could be just one factor, one kind of stressor that sets the stage for the eventual fall and something else could become the trigger or the straw that broke the camel's back. And at that point, you know, it's like the chicken and the egg situation, right? And it really doesn't matter at that point what came first. At that point, we need to start removing all the type, all forms of stress from the body and breast implants are one of those. So going back to what is breast implant illness, it's really just this kind of generalized term given to a process by which vague and chronic symptoms develop following breast augmentation with either silicone or saline implants. So it's not just specific to one type of implant. And it can happen at any point, as I mentioned, it can be within days of augmentation or a decade or more later. And it's the the symptoms that go along with this are so wide and vague that it's really hard to pinpoint. And, you know, um, I guess, quote unquote, diagnosed, even though there really isn't a diagnosis for it. Um, And so people can end up having things like chronic fatigue, um, cognitive cognitive dysfunction, muscle aches and pains, joint pains, hair loss, weight gain or weight loss, um, low libido, ringing in the ears, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, metallic taste in the mouth, rashes, night sweats, insomnia, hormone imbalances, um, numbness and tingling in the extremities, uh, vertigo, frequent urination, sound, chemical, uh, light sensitivities, premature aging, which we mentioned, um, visual disturbances, liver and kidney dysfunction, GI issues, food intolerances, persistent infections that just aren't going away, um, chronic inflammation, of course, you know, feeling um, 
feeling like you're choking, headaches, dizziness, migraines, mood swings. So it's so many different symptoms. You can see how hard it would be for someone to pinpoint unless they really can see themselves in someone else's story and have that light bulb moment, right? Um, and so anytime you put a foreign material into the body, and like I said, like we've both said, this is not just um, about breast implants specifically, but any foreign material, there's a potential for problems to arise. And so breast implants are no exception to that. And issues can develop from, like I said, both saline and silicone, either due to the chemicals, um, the silicone, the heavy metals that are in implants and the shells, due to bacterial or fungal growth between the um, capsule and the implant, or even sometimes with, you know, with saline implants, it, things can be growing inside the implants and their ability to impair the body's immune system and the endocrine system and the detoxification pathways, right? So there's a lot of downstream effects that breast implants can have on the body that impact function. And it's not necessarily that it's causing dysfunction. It's just causing the body to try to adapt and that results in symptoms. So the body's smart. I don't believe this, that the body's just falling apart because of the breast implants. I believe it's an adaptation to that physical and chemical stressor. And unfortunately that does result in symptoms. Mm -hmm. I've actually had a number of clients that felt like they had breast implant illness and they go to their doctor and they feel like their, their physician or provider, they're just not hearing them. Um, this is definitely an area of specialty that I've seen come about over the last couple of years. I remember I was at a conference. It was an injectable conference a number of years ago. It was this probably five years ago in, in Calgary or Toronto. And at the conference, they're just like, let, just letting everybody know Allergan is issuing a recall. And so I was there that the day mm -hmm. that happened, one of the first people to hear about that. And everyone's looking around the room because so many doctors and and nurses that were at this conference have breast implants. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of them may had that specific kind because they worked with that kind of product for many years and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So that was really interesting experience to see even some of my colleagues have their wheels turn to be like, oh, no, time yeah. to right? <laughs> so I think it's great just sharing more awareness uh, of, on this. Um, and also the clients of mine that that have felt like they've had uh, BII, as we can refer to it now, mm -hmm. they just kind of intuitively knew, they mm -hmm. sort of knew something was off. Is that um, kind of a first starting point that you find your clients mm -hmm. say to you, they just kind of, they just kind of know? Yeah. And I would say that certainly rings true for me in my case. And I had this kind of innate, intuitive kind of knowing early on, but I, I didn't listen to it. I did, a, I did some Google searching into it, of course. <laughs> and there, at the time, there was really just no one out there talking about this. And that was quite some year, a number of years ago. So um, there were no websites or Facebook groups or Instagram, you know, handles where there were people talking about this issue. And so when I went to Google and searched for, you know, if breast implants could be causing my symptoms, I didn't really find what I was looking for. I found very few, maybe one or two people on a site like realself.com <laughs> mentioning, you know, how they started feeling like they were becoming sick after having breast implants. And for me, that wasn't enough. I didn't trust my intuition. 
And so I think if there's one thing that I hope people get out of, well, one of many, of course, but one important thing that people get out of my own story is that, you know, my hope is that they don't wait, that they hear this and that they have that light bulb moment. And if they really listen to themselves and get in touch with their innate wisdom, that they will listen to that and take action rather than waiting so long like I did. I waited years and years and years before I finally took that step and and decided to explant. And I ended up losing body parts because of it, you know, and who knows, I may have avoided that had I not waited so long. So that's a lesson in learning to trust yourself. Um, and so, yeah, I do see uh, people who are like, you know, I never really had these symptoms before my breast implants and just kind of wondering if it could be that. And so that's when they start, you know, searching around and finding breast implant illness, Facebook groups and finding websites and reading about people's stories and seeing themselves in those stories. And I think that's very validating. And I wish that had been the case in my situation, but you know, now it, it wasn't, and that's okay because, I think, you know, had I not gone through everything I went through, I probably wouldn't be where I am today, you know? And so I think there's, everything is, uh, has a purpose, even the pain that we go through. Absolutely. As long as we look at the silver linings in every situation, we can always learn something from something. I have to say that there's more information coming out about BII. For example, um, my last International Society of Plastic and Aesthetic Nursing Mm -hmm conference, uh, we actually had a plastic surgeon presenting on this very topic. And never before have I seen this uh, content made available at conferences. So there's more awareness around it, which mm. which is great. Uh, all of this stuff, when things are new, there's always things that come down the pipeline with, okay, maybe we need to do this in a slightly different way or make the product a little bit better. Um, so I'm happy to see that there's more information coming out. So say, for example, if someone is just learning about BII for the first time and they think it might be a problem for them or they're hearing this and it's resonating, it's clicking, uh, what what should they do? Well, I think that um, if you're thinking it could be an issue... It could be. It probably is. <laughs> it's it. And but what I want to emphasize as well is that it may not be the only issue. It may be just a part of your picture, a part of your health puzzle. And so that's one thing I'm always kind of re-educating people about. I don't even love the term breast implant illness. I'll be quite honest with you, because it gives the breast implants all of the credit when they really are only deserving of part of the credit. So yes, they are a significant stressor on the body and they can, they have the potential to make people very, very sick. However, we are living in a time where it's one of the most toxic times in history, right? If not the most toxic time in history. And we are just bombarded with things from so many different levels that our bodies just were not designed to cope with. And so add something like breast implants on top of that. And it's, you're just, it's a wildfire in the body, right? For some people. Um, And so I think we have to consider the fact that it may not be just the breast implants, right? Um, And, and so the first step I think is being okay with, or understanding that, and then also deciding if you're okay with that, like, are you okay with moving forward with, with removing them, knowing that it may not solve all of your problems. You know, it may, you may feel better um, and you may get better over time, especially if you're doing the right things post-explant. However, if there are other stressors present in your life that are not identified and addressed still, then there's still some fire in there 
and there's still fire in the body that is being fueled. And so we have to look deeper, go deeper and identify, you know, start peeling back the layers of the onion, so to speak, and figuring out what else is a part of your health puzzle so that you can truly heal. You know, um, it's not all just about the implants, but um, a good starting place beyond that, understanding that and being okay with that and um, being willing to do more work if needed is to um, think about uh, interviewing some surgeons, first of all, some excellent surgeons. I think that's a good step. And um, I think you should probably interview more than one just so that you have a really strong you know, feeling one way or the other about the person that you choose, you know, you want to make sure that it's someone that you trust, you feel confident in who will do the explant properly and safely and do the best thing for you so that you can have the best outcome. And so, you know, the people that I look for, the surgeons that I look for are going to be people who have done hundreds, if not thousands of these. Um, Ideally, they're not placing them anymore. Um, They believe you that you're sick, that you, that you're struggling with breast implant illness. Um, they understand the ramifications to some people for having breast implants. Um, and they're willing to do their absolute best to try to remove the implants on block, which means, you know, um, not cutting the capsule open, but leaving that capsule intact and removing the implant and the capsule together. Um, and also going back in and doing a complete capsulectomy where all specks of that capsule are removed. So that's really important. Those things are super important. And I think that's a good first step. And then, you know, talking with family and friends about it as well and um, getting some of that feedback. And you may not necessarily hear the feedback that you're looking for because not everyone's going to be on board with your decision. Never, Not everyone's going to agree with you, especially if it's if you're someone you're talking to also has implants, right? Um, it can be also helpful to join other Facebook groups, uh, out there and connect with other women who are going through what you're going through, talk with them, see what their experience has been like, and, you know, get some experiences or listen to some experiences from people who have explanted and, you know, what they've done afterward and how they're feeling afterward so that you can just get enough information to feel confident in making that decision. I think that's excellent. And if you'd like to work with Sarah, be sure to check out her website down below in the description of this episode. Sarah really is an expert in this area. I wanted to mention a few things. So when you're talking about, okay, how do we find a practitioner to do our explant? This is actually where people like Sarah and I come in handy. So -hmm. when I work with clients, uh, Sarah, you know, I've done a consultation for you as well. Uh, We discuss your skin goals and then I come up with a plan for you both at home with your skincare, dribble rolling. You happen to love one of the hyaluronic acid Uh, reishi mushroom peptide serums i have you on this way skin is fabulously glowing as well (laughs) Uh, but then there's always not always but sometimes that in clinic element also so when you work with people like sarah and i we give you so many little tidbits of wisdom for really selecting a practitioner that's right for you there's there's lots of little secrets that we say for our we reserve for our one-on-one clients so if you'd like to learn about all of that uh, you can definitely uh, start working with Sarah and I if you haven't already you talked about something really interesting that's actually a perfect segue into my next question because 
I really do think that there are some strategies for reducing our toxic load and improving healing and positive outcomes while receiving certain rejuvenation options. So say, for example, uh, in my papers that I've published, I have um, content in my uh, peer-reviewed articles talking about how maybe treating people with autoimmune conditions with things like neurotoxins, fillers, certain laser treatments, any type of implant, they could have, um, you know, an unknown reaction to it just because their body is hypervigilant on external things. And kind of like the reaction mechanisms can be a little bit off, if you will. So my recommendation is always if you have underlying autoimmune stuff, you might not be the best candidate for things like facial non-surgical injectables and implants and things like that. So I am providing awareness on that. The other mm -hmm. thing that I thought was really interesting was, was your uh, description of removing the capsule. So when we have an implant, there can be some calcification and basically like a capsule that forms around the, the silicone capsule, if you will. And when you un unfortunately open that up in surgery, all of the different pieces of like mold and particulates uh, that can accumulate there can go throughout the body. So I love that you mentioned that technique of keeping the capsule intact uh, because I have heard of colleagues of mine that actually work at private plastic surgery clinics that they've actually seen mold around implants. So if you are concerned about being in a moldy environment and you have implants, that's something you absolutely need to get on top of right away because mold will actually proliferate in your body around implants. So I just wanted to mention that. What other strategies uh, can you share with us to help us reduce our toxic load and give us our best chance possible? So um, that, you know, this is definitely a really important topic that I um, work through with my clients very extensively. So we go really deep on this um, because there are we can't control everything, of course, but we can control what we bring into our homes, what we put in and on our bodies, right? And so, and we can, you know, have good air filtration and water filtration and all of that. So the, the biggest things that we can do to significantly reduce our toxic exposures are going to be um, proper water filtration because water is a huge source of toxic exposure. And you can look up you know, what's in your water on ewg.org type by just typing in your zip code into their water database. And you want to kind of look a little bit beyond just like the, the top um, contaminants, because there are others that they don't just display on the page, you have to kind of like click on a link that's not super obvious. And then you'll see the rest of what's in your water. And um, when I did that, when we just moved to Texas a few months ago, and Texas is in the radium belt. And so I Googled the water, it was horribly contaminated. And there's radium in the water. And that is a radioactive element. It's like radiation, it's car carcinogenic, right? And that's something that is like a slow drip into the bucket all day long every single day. It's not just like a every once in a while you go out to eat and you eat some food that's not very healthy, right? This isn't like that. This is every day, all day. And so kind of like the implant situation, right? For some people. And so I think the biggest thing you can do for your health is drink distilled water. And there's a lot of misconception about distilled water being dead or being not good for you or pulling out minerals and dehydrating you. That's just not true. So, um, there's a lot more information about that if you look for it. Um, 
And I have been on distilled water for a few months now, and I feel so much better than I did even on like the most, what I thought was the most pure water <laughs> that I could find. <laughs> so, um, and then purifying the air in your home. So there's a lot of great products out there for that, making sure that the air you're breathing is clean while you're inside because the indoor air has been labeled some of the most toxic air, like more toxic than the outdoor air. And we spend a lot of time indoors, especially during this whole pandemic situation, right? We're indoors more often than not. Um, and so you've got, you know, building materials and all kinds of other things off gassing into the environment, not to mention the possibility for things like mold and certain bacteria that really elevate or um, increase the level of toxic load that you're breathing in every day. So those two things I think are really key. And then of course you can reduce your toxic load by reducing, you know, um, how much you're exposed to through food and skincare and, um, you know, personal care products, things like that. So there's so many options out there these days that it's, there's just no excuse, right? I mean, we have voted with our dollar for the past, you know, couple of decades basically. And we're finally seeing so much positive change in the right direction to make things safer. So um, I think those are the biggest things I, I, I would recommend and um, cleaning products as well. So um, that's easy to do. And you can work on switching that out over time. It doesn't have to be all at once. Um, so that's going to reduce the load on the body. And so your body can eliminate toxins better, detox better, right? Um, because it's kind of detoxing the body, if you're still exposed to lots and lots of other exposures, is kind of like trying to empty the the, the bathtub with the water still running. It's never going to happen, right? Um, so, and eating organic, you know, pasture raised, things like that. It's, it all matters. It all adds up. 100% will echo everything you just mentioned. And so here's the link between the breast implant illness and aging well. The same things that are going to help support your BII recovery and also, if you decide to keep your implants or you still want to pursue things like Botox and fillers and neurotoxins and stuff like that, if you are at least making sure that you're integrating a couple of key biohacking things, it's going to give you the best shot possible. So when you're talking about clean water, clean air, all sorts of things, I have actually a very curated list of a number of my favorite air purifiers, biohacking options over on my favorites page at rachelvarga.ca. You'll find some promo codes and all of that. And when you purchase there, it does help to continue to support me to create this free content for you all. So thank you in advance. It really is about that toxic exposure reduction though. Mm -hmm. And so when we optimize our sleep, we optimize our living environments. I have air purifiers in literally every room in the house where we've added some new appliances and, you know, done some recent work on our home. And the thing is, all of those materials that we're bringing in or every time you buy a new rug for your house, for example, it's going to breathe and it's going to off gas. So if you smell it, it's already in your brain. So start to be really aware of uh, what you're using in your home. Like Sarah said, your cleaning products. So all of the skincare products that I work with, makeup, hair care, supplements, they're all free of parabens, phthalates, sulfates, artificial dyes, fragrances, not tested on animals, but they also work. I see what my clients have kept coming back for. Uh, since 2011 with a lot of the products that I work with. So the the concept of your, your building and your home environment breathing is absolutely not something 
to downplay. Um, one thing I will mention with EWG, I've used that to uh, look over some products and things like that. But one of the things that bugs me is every time I search something on EWG and the product has retinol in it, uh, which is otherwise known as vitamin A, it will actually give it kind of a misleading high rating on it saying it's toxic. So mm -hmm. you have to use those types of websites with a grain of salt uh, because vitamin A and retinol is considered a no-fly zone, like if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. So that's why sometimes, even though a product is, is actually great, uh, it can have a high rating because of certain skin actives. Uh, benzoyl peroxide is one of those. Um, hydroquinone as well. Anything with those are going to have a high rating, but they could still be clean, just mm -hmm. not indicated for pregnancy and breastfeeding. So just yeah. so you know. Uh, another, <laughs> another trip for... Uh, trick for reducing toxic load is actually to use skincare that is safer when you're pregnant and breastfeeding. So yeah. for me personally, that's what I do. Products that I use, heck yeah, I'll be using while I'm pregnant and breastfeeding anyways, just maybe leaving out the sometimes retinol with my dermal rolling and, and things like that. So I think just in general, we should be caring for ourselves in a way that will always keep our toxic bucket as low as possible so that if you are choosing to do some of these rejuvenation options, you will hopefully have the best shot out of not having it make you sick because your body almost has the flexibility to handle those toxins. But I, I honestly, I would say, Sarah, more and more of the clients that I'm meeting with, they're not really wanting um, any yeah. more of these neuromodulators or fillers. Mm -hmm. I think also just like with the culture right now with injectables in general, I think that there's an element of that too. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting seeing the shift in my clients as well, wanting just really low toxic or completely non-toxic options. Are you seeing that too? Yeah, I am. And I, I would say also that, um, you know, I'm, I don't like to go too overboard with it all because really you have to be reasonable here, right? We, like I said, we can't control everything. And um, some of the things that, um, you know, really make us feel good and beautiful and, you know, whatnot, I, I think it's just about picking your poison, right? You can't, you don't want to do it all, but if there's certain things you really want to continue doing, um, you know, fine. You just, as long as you're really reducing the exposure everywhere else and just focusing on one or two things that you just find that you absolutely don't want to do without, um, and then supporting your body as best you can to prevent that from becoming a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I will reiterate that, especially over the last two years, I've seen a huge shift of yeah. probably a majority of my clients wanting to go for more super clean options that, you know, they feel good about and uh, to each their own. Uh, you'll have my full support with whatever your decisions are for you tuning in here. But there are, are certainly ways uh, to mitigate harm. And the first of all is don't do anything like even getting a laser treatment or a facial at a clinic. If you're feeling unwell, just rebook because you never know your body might be going through some type of you know, maybe just the first start of a cold or a flu or, or what have you, or your body just is feeling it's a bit toxic. And so you always have to listen to that, that inner voice. And if something doesn't feel like it's in alignment with you and your values and your goals, then you have to roll with it. And say you show up to a clinic and the practitioner just like really is trying to talk you into something and say, oh no, it's fine. It's been used forever. If you still have that feeling of 
oh, it just, it doesn't feel right. You have to like really um, express that because mm -hmm. we're kind of in this culture in the clinical space to really like downplay that. Uh, but, but I've just learned an enormous amount of, um, illness and things like that, that can happen after certain rejuvenation procedures. Yeah. And I would say I, I made decisions about hair color, you know, and all these different hair treatments and stuff, you know, about three years ago, I decided, you know what, um, I'm just gonna, I'm going to give this up. <laughs> and I stopped coloring my hair I stopped having all these treatments done on my hair. And I actually think my hair looks better than it ever has. And I'm letting it just gray out and that's totally fine. I don't mind it at all. It doesn't bother me like I thought I would, I thought it would, you know, I thought forever for the longest time, I thought this is one thing I'm never going to stop doing <laughs> because I don't want to go gray. I don't want to look old. And, but you know, I've, I've learned to embrace, you know, my natural hair color and texture and all of that. And it's fine. <laughs> this is actually a great conversation to have here because <laughs> All of you tuning in here, ladies, gents, everyone in between, we do start to notice the signs of aging at some point or another. I personally, like, I'll, I'll share my journey. I don't care. Uh, when I was about, you know, mid, late 20s, I was starting to see some fine lines and wrinkles start. I, you know, had some acne scars, hyperpigmentation, and all sorts of bumps on my forehead because I wasn't exfoliating. I wasn't really looking after my skin properly with a solid practitioner grade routine that was super clean. And then I look at my skin now, 10 years, over 10 years later, my skin looks so much younger and healthier. Oh, so you look amazing. <laughs> it's not, thank you. It's, it's not just about skincare and rejuvenation. It's about how you're living and your lifestyle and more and more clients um, that are working with Sarah and I, they're really putting those pieces together. So when I do a consultation, I had a lovely consultation with uh, a woman the other day and she's been following the podcast for like two years, <laughs> listen to every episode. She's like, yeah, I'm already doing that. Yeah, I'm already doing that. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So we're getting a lot more savvy now. And yeah, uh, yeah so the, the the journey typically is you, you start to see the fine lines, wrinkles in like your late 20s, early 30s, then 37 to 41, we start to see this drop off of elastin and collagen in the skin. So we get like this creepiness almost overnight. And then from the ages of 50 to 60, women's faces change shape three times faster than men's. Then you got the gray hair starting. You got your metabolism slowing down a little bit. The skin on your body starts to change. All of these things are changing in our bodies. Uh, and, and sometimes it's okay to just accept a couple of fine lines and wrinkles. You don't want to be that woman at the dinner table who's in your 60s with not a wrinkle on on the face because that's just that's like a weird look, right? Yeah. It's not great. Yeah, It is strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. seeing more and more in my friends uh, going a little bit more gray. And it's just kind of par for the course. It's It's part of aging. But I think the next deep dive I'm going to do is learn about how to reduce the frequency of gray hairs. Do you have any insight into that oh, space? I, you know, have tried so many things <laughs> just to see like what sticks, but you know, and I've heard of, you know, oxidative stress being a reason for it. So doing all the things like to reduce the oxidative stress in the body, which isn't just about taking a supplement, right? It's about a, a lifestyle. Um, and, you know, remineralizing the body. I've heard that. Um, I've heard certain, 
Um, uh, isolates can be really helpful, like peptides and just different things like that. But honestly, I haven't had, have found anything personally for me that has made any difference. But I will say, I think it's very genetic for me. Um, my mom started going gray when she was in her, like, when she was like 19. <laughs> and she, by the time she was mid 20s, had a full head of gray hair. So I, I'm lucky in the sense that I'm not fully gray yet. I'm, I'm just a small percentage of gray. Um, so at least there's that. <laughs> Yeah. And one of the other things that happens is our eyebrows can actually start to go a little bit gray too. So I just had my tint done yesterday <laughs> with Christina at Studio Candy. Shout out to one of my besties. Yeah. Um, she is the reason I have good eyebrows because if you're listening to this and you don't get your brows done professionally, I recommend that you book an appointment with a local brow artist, microblading artist, and yeah. learn more or book a consult with me. I'll walk you through information like that as well. Uh, booking yeah. information with me is available down below. That so, makes all the difference. <laughs> doesn't it though? It frames your face for a lot of my clients who are 60 and up. When they get their brows done, if they just get shaped with tweezing, ladies, we do not pluck our face. We tweeze our face. <laughs> a little bit of like a tint if you don't want to do the microblading a little brow cleanup with tweezing a little tint that can go a long way actually if you're not wanting yes. to go the semi-permanent makeup route so sarah you work with a lot of really sick women i recognize this uh but i'm sure there's a subset of clients you work with that are just the most resilient um they're more radiant uh, than maybe others i've noticed this in my work as well what are some of their qualities that they tend to do a little bit better during the whole uh, explant process? You know, I think the women who do the best post-explant and who are the most resilient in so many ways are the people who have a really healthy healing mindset. And I think a lot of the mental emotional work just gets glossed right over for most people. And so I'm actually very particular about the who I work with, the type of client that I decide to take on. And they have to have a healing mindset. They cannot be operating in this place of a sick mindset because they will not get better. That's just a fact. And um, they also have to consider, you know, the blame game of trying to blame somebody or something for you know, where you're at in life, you know, so for a lot of women with breast implant illness, they want to blame the surgeon, they want to blame the FDA, they want to blame everyone else, right? And it's, it's okay to feel that way initially. Yeah, I mean, you feel like you've been duped, right? But we need to be able to move on from that, we need to be able to move forward. And so part of that does involve, you know, letting that go, and you can't change it. So why sit around and be angry for the rest of your life? You know, and so I think doing that mental emotional work, that mindset work is so key. And like I said, the women that I speak with or and work with, that I'm just so impressed with time and time again, are the women who've done that work, and they come to me having already gotten through that. And they're just like, all right, I'll do anything you want. Tell me what to do. I'm ready. <laughs> and they're willing to go through the hard times to get to a better life. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy that you mentioned the mindset thing. I actually recently recorded a masterclass on it's like the it's like the mindset of better skin and slower aging. It's really actually interesting when you work with clients and you start to observe, okay, who's doing 
better than others? What are some of their qualities? That's actually what I've written about in my ebook, Unlocking Your Vitality. I kind of lay it all out what these amazing radiant clients of mine are doing to look and feel their best. So 100%, there's a healing mindset. There's also the slower aging mindset as well. Uh, one of the things we're seeing in society right now is a lot of free floating anxiety. So yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that anxiety could for sure be put on others. But really, we do have to take ownership. If we've made certain decisions, that decision is really on us at the end of the day. We're consenting to something. So, And I know there's, you know, the thought that um, that it wasn't really informed consent, right? Because they didn't know all the risks before going into it. And so I get that. I understand that. Me too, right? I mean, I was there too. And I you know, wasn't told any of these things either, but I also didn't get into that mindset of blaming someone else. You know, I made the choice. And even though I didn't have all the information, it was still a choice that I made. Um, and so I think that that that's not only a really healthy way of looking at it for healing, but just in general, you know, just having that way of that outlook in life of owning your choices and, um, being able to learn from the decisions that you made, um, putting a positive spin on things. How can we shift it around to make it a positive, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what can we learn from the situation? Like for me, I not only learned who I am truly without the implants, um, because I put a lot of stock in my physical appearance and that really defined who I was at the time. I didn't really know who I, who I was outside of that. Um, that really defined womanhood for me. And so I really had to get to a good, healthy place in my mind and in my heart and knowing who I am and having confidence in that um, to be able to be okay with getting, letting go of them, first of all. And then I also learned how I should be living, you know, and had I not learned those things, who knows where I would have been, you know, I probably would have you know, I have a family history of a lot of things like most people, diabetes, heart disease, you know, cancer, all of that. So who knows what path I would have taken? Mm -hmm. Well, why don't we talk about some pre and post recovery tips? I'm actually going to be doing an entire series on pre post recovery tips for both at home and clinic things like lasers, like possibly injectables, if you're getting them, um, post certain surgery tips, there are certainly things that we can do that we absolutely know are going to be setting ourselves up for success and to have the best possible outcome. So what are some of your pre and post explant tips that you'd like to share with everyone today? Well, I think um, one of the biggest things that you can do, and this sounds so simple and trivial at the same time, but um, is get the bowels moving regularly. And what regular, what I mean by regular is maybe different than what you think. So, you know, there's some people out there going to the bathroom once a week and they think that's normal. Um, and just think about that's toxic waste sitting in your gut. And the longer it sits there, the more those toxins just reabsorb through the gut lining and recirculate through the body. It's like auto intoxication. And so we want that to be moving out. Um, that is the, like kind of the bottom of the drainage funnel, right? So that has to be working really well. And I think that's really important to get under control before your surgery, because what happens when you go into surgery and you have anesthesia and you have antibiotics and you have narcotics afterward is that it's, you're going to be stopped up, 
you're going to be constipated. And so keeping things moving out will also improve your recovery from the surgery, the, all the medications you were given, it will help you eliminate all of that faster and better. Um, so that I think is one of the most simple, um, not always easiest for some people, because some people have been dealing with chronic constipation their whole lives. And there's a deeper rooted issue for why that's happening that you want to address, but, um, doing, you know, utilizing whatever kind of support you need to, in order to achieve that. And so for some people, that's certain supplements to like, get those things moving. And I think as a crutch temporarily, that's fine. You know, we want to also work on healing that. And I, you know, if there's an, another underlying cause for that, we want to identify it so you can resolve that issue. But, um, I think just priority initially is get them moving in whatever way you need to. (laughs) And then as we talked about before with reducing toxic load, I think that can be something anyone can do before explant, right. Leading up to surgery is just start reducing what you're exposed to on a daily basis, start cleaning up your diet, you know, start drinking, um, distilled water, you know, those sort of things. So that I think is, um, where, where I tend to, um, have people focus, um, initially. And then if we are working together one-on-one, I have, I have you doing some other things, of course, to go a little bit deeper, um, to start opening up other drainage pathways like liver and kidneys and gallbladder and sometimes lymph. But a lot of the time I want to wait until after surgery for, um, for that. And that's because the lymph holds a lot of, um, toxins as well as pathogens. So pathogens like to hide out in the lymph, especially viruses like Epstein-Barr. And when you move the lymph, if you've got a lot of toxic load there or high pathogen load hiding out there, you're likely going to feel very, very sick for possibly a week. (laughs) So it's better to kind of work on getting those other downstream drainage pathways working really well. And then maybe after surgery, when those pathways are working well, I think that would be a fine thing to do is getting the lymph to move, but um, probably not before that. So that's kind of where I like to focus pre-explant and then post, it's a lot of the same. So initially keeping those drainage pathways moving because things are going to start mobilizing now that that toxic source is out of the body. Right. So when you, same thing, when you take out like a mercury amalgam filling or you know, all of the mercury in your mouth, let's say, once all of that, that um, exposure is out, that source is out, your body can start to let go of what it's holding on to. Because you're not having that constant exposure every day, all day long. Um, And so you want to make sure things are able to be detoxified and moving out. So not just supporting drainage pathways, but at that time, I like to start supporting the biochemical detoxification pathways. So I'm talking about, you know, methylation, glutathionization, sulfation, you know, all those sorts of things. So we're not just talking about one isolated pathway. Everyone wants to focus on MTHFR, but that's just one of many. And, um, not everyone needs the same kind of support because we're all bio-individually unique. So I think it's also helpful to do some genetic testing um, to kind of get a look at, you know, what your pathway is, what are your weaknesses, right? So you can support those as best you can Um, and support them in a way that is specific to you. And um, let's see. So detoxification pathways, drainage pathways, and, um, you know, typically I take my one-on-one clients a lot deeper than that. So we're, we're doing gut work. Um, you know, once we 
open up those pathways. We're getting into some gut work. We're getting into kind of systemic pathogen work, dealing with what's attacking, what's, what is burdening the immune system beyond the implants. And so that can be a result of the implants of like a downstream effect, or that could just be an additional thing that you're dealing with that you've had for a while, you know, so it could be parasites, it could be fungal overgrowth, it could be, um, you know, Lyme and co-infections and viruses and things like that. So, and not everyone is going to have the same you know, set of pathogens in their body that are impacting them negatively. So it's important to, you know, look under the hood, do the lab work, see what's there so that you know what to address, not just shoot in the dark. Um, and then after that is when I try, I start doing some deeper detox work. So I think it's important. I think order really matters, first of all, because if you're trying to detox the body at a cellular level and you're using like oral chelators, for instance, um, you can really, it can just end up kind of um, kicking up dust, so to speak, because you're still, you still have other pathogens there that are exposing you to lots of different types of toxins as well. So if parasites are an issue, they're, you know, that's a chronic source of exposure because they feed on heavy metals, they feed on toxins, right? So you can see that if you're trying to detox, but you haven't gotten this other issue under control that's exposing you constantly, it's just like this uphill battle. You're just swimming upstream. So that is a one small example of why order matters so much. I love everything that you just shared. I particularly love the analogy of let's take a look under the hood because I love mechanics <laughs> and uh, all that stuff. And you're absolutely right. You've heard me say this many, many times on the show, test instead of guess. And I do actually have some reference, uh, some resources to drop right now. For food optimization, I do trust the Viome gut health test and just go to Viome.com, use promo code Varga and that will get you special savings. Uh, that's really what I trust. There are a couple other tests I, I've done as well and they do actually line up, which is great. So that's a good one. Um, My Toolbox Genomics, um, Sarah, that's a friend of ours, Dr. Dr. Erica Gray, she's one of the co-founders of that gene testing company, My Toolbox Genomics. She has an epigenetics test kit, a nutrition test kit, detox test kit. So you can really kind of take a look under the hood for literally a couple of hundred dollars for each of these tests. They used to be thousands. Uh, so they definitely are a little bit easier to get into the mix. Uh, I'd also love to echo the importance of lymphatic drainage. I do love to talk about uh, this and some of my pre and post recovery tips in my one on one consultations, my skin camp programs. But I also do quite a deep dive on pre and post care in my in my ebook as well. And all that's at rachelvarga.ca. But uh, actually, bowel movements daily is actually a sign of good hormonal balancing. If you're not going to the bathroom enough, that can actually be a sign of estrogen dominance. Uh, so yes, starting with the gut for sure. And um, in the past, I used to be definitely a little OCD about 
pre and post recovery stuff, you should have seen my stash. I had bromelain, I had arnica, I had milk thistle, I had all these other things to help mitigate general anesthesia. Also the narcotics that are used after surgery, all of that for really clearing things out and support the healing process. Um, actually, I have one supplement that's fantastic for pre and post care. It's actually been used by top plastic surgeons across the globe for about 15 years now. It's a super clean product and it just really helps to prepare your body for surgery and you know different rejuvenation treatments as well. So you take it for about 15 days before, not on day of surgery, and then 15 days after. If you'd like information on which product that is and if it's right for you, just send me an email, info at rachelvarga.ca. But uh, yeah, definitely a bit of a nerd when it comes to their pre and post recovery. Because, you know, when you're setting yourself up for success post explant surgery, it's also similar for post uh, pre and post laser or injectable rejuvenation or eyelid surgery or rhinoplasty or facelift or, you know, lipo, all sorts of things we can do to give our bodies the best shot at recovering and also do things to support uh, less bruising and less swelling and all of that. So we definitely touched on a few important things there. Yeah. And thank you for saying that too, Rachel, because, um, I tend to more, um, most of my clients are post explant already. Like they've already done that. And so, um, I have a few that have come to me pre explant wanting that support before and then continuing beyond. Um, and so I tend to sometimes forget about some of those additional really helpful tools because it's just not where my brain is focused. hundred <laughs> percent. And to be completely frank with all of you, you can spend a small fortune trying to get all of these different supplements. Like I mentioned, the bromelain, the arnica, the milk thistle. These are all, if you go on blogs, those are like the top three you're going to be finding everywhere but i actually work with a formulation that has all of that and many many more important cofactors all in one supplement so it just makes it yeah it's all in one it makes it super easy and everything is designed to work synergistically together and it's a super clean formula and all of that um so just let me know if you want that just send me an email uh, what would you say some of the like next steps that people do after explanting uh, what what can people do to optimize their experience if they've decided to go down this route? Well, I think it's a lot of the same things that I recommend pre-explant, you know, just really cleaning up the diet and eating good, a new nutrient dense diet. And um, I am a I am a strong advocate for animal protein, animal products, if you tolerate them and you do well with them. Um, you know, most women are not getting enough protein and they're probably not getting enough fat either. And we use, you know, amino acids and fatty acids and cholesterol and all of those things to build ourselves. And so when you're thinking about being cut open and need, needing to heal those cells and tissues, um, we need all those building blocks right? So we need lots of protein. We need lots of good fatty acids in the diet. We need the cholesterol from, from animal protein, um, or eggs or things like that. Um, and you know, red meat and, and good quality pasture raised organic, you know, eggs it are two of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet, you know, and you really cannot get the same density of nutrients from plants. Although I am an advocate for eating a plant heavy diet as well, but you just, it's all about balance, right? And not leaning too heavily on one source or another. 
I'll so. completely echo that too. For some reason, I don't do well with chicken anymore. Chicken just like feels super heavy and it's also got lots of like the bad fats that you mm -hmm. don't want a lot of. So yeah, absolutely. I'll echo that I seem to be doing better with steak. Like I love cooking up some nice steak. Oh my gosh. I salad. I have a strong preference for steak over any other kind of meat. I just love it so much. And um, I also think there's a bit of like intuition there, like this innate intuition. Like if you have a strong craving for a particular type of meat, it's probably because you need something in that, right? So listen to your cravings. And I'm not an advocate for one way of eating for every single person or really restrictive, restrictive diets. It's all about balance. It's all about figuring out what food makes you feel good when you eat it. Yeah. Definitely. And so that requires some training and listening to your body and paying attention. And we all, we don't often pay attention to how we feel after we eat, unless we're feeling really terrible. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that's really important uh, with diet and getting the right macronutrients and micronutrients for healing the, from, from the surgery. And um, I think, you know, there's some great tools you probably know more about than I do, uh, for helping to heal the body post-explant, um, better and faster. And I think some of those things I think about hyperbaric oxygen chamber, I think about, you know, maybe down the road for scarring, you know, lasers, things like that. Um, even and this just really varies, but I have some clients who are like, I want to do all the things. What should I get? I'm going to go, you know, to this wellness clinic, what should I do? And so, you know, you could do a lot of things. You could do IV glutathione, you could do IV NAD plus, you know, all those kind of anti-aging reju uh, rejuvenation types of infusions that also help with healing and detoxing. Um, and, but not everyone does well with every, all of those modalities, right? So someone who can't break down glutathione is going to feel really, really unwell getting an IV glutathione drip. So you have to, it's good to know a bit about your genetics before you go into something like that, because you can be very unpleasantly surprised if you haven't done it before. And it's the first time, uh, it may not be the experience you're hoping for. Um, so like I said, everything is bio-individual here. Um, there's no, no one size fits all. I but love other than that you that, mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other thing I wanted to mention was protein. Um, I've, I, yes, found that in my diet, I wasn't quite getting enough protein. I was kind of tired of getting it from meat because I did another biome retest. And I was just eating a little bit too much meat. I was having some more game meat like elk and boar. And, and I wasn't having as much fish as I was before. I tend to do really well with as much like raw salmon as possible. Uh, mm -hmm. So I do actually carry some awesome protein bars and this is uh, actually made by a practitioner grade supplement company with over 30 years of formulating protein powders and, and all of that super clean, non-GMO, all of that. So one of the things I'm doing lately and uh, with some of my with some of my product orders is I'm actually giving you guys a little protein bar in certain orders. <laughs> oh, <fun. laughs> you can try it. Cause I find like, if I'm just not feeling super hungry in the morning, I still do need something. So if I have like a third of this protein bar, I'm really good. I feel super satiated throughout the day. So sometimes it's nice just having like some type of protein bar that you can have instead of um, having an animal meat. Uh, but yeah, that's something that I like to do right now. Also, yeah. I wanted to just mention one thing about scarring before we forget, because 
addressing scarring in the rejuvenation space, I got to tell you, is like the best way to waste your money. There are so many lasers out there that claim to address scarring, but just don't go deep enough in the tissues. So it is a wild west. So I I do explain uh, which lasers I think could be helpful for Mm -hmm. you and your specific um, situation that's all done in a one-on-one call and then I tell you where to go and nuances to ask for and how many you might need and maintenance programs stuff like that uh, but pretty much every clinic is going to say that their laser gets rid of scarring but it is scarring is one of the most difficult things to reduce in the space of aesthetic rejuvenation and anti-aging I'll put that out but I do have an awesome dermal rolling post-recovery uh, protocol Uh, for addressing scarring. Is there anything you wanted to add to that? Well, I was just going to say, we'll need to have a conversation after this then. (laughs) I have a question for you about that. But um, one thing I was going to add to is that what I'm doing, because you were talking about morning and what you've been eating lately or just needing some protein is that one thing I've been doing to get a little bit of extra protein, and it's not much, it's like six grams, which is negligible, but it helps. Everything adds up is I add some collagen peptides to my coffee and I use, you know, full fat milk in my coffee. So there's some protein there too and good fats. And so, you know, it's, it's, it gives me a good, well-rounded, not food, but beverage that at least keeps me satiated. And it doesn't really like spike, you know, my blood sugar because I've got some balance there. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I actually have a protein powder that's for <laughs> glucose stabilizing, like blood sugar stabilizing. Trust nice. me. If you if you want it, I got it. I carry everything I use and myself too. <laughs> so tell us, what is the explant procedure like? And what are some of the methods of, of removal of explantation? Uh, we talked about keeping the capsule intact and not cutting it open and potentially allowing all these things that have been tucked away in that capsule and the implant to go systemic. But what are some of your insights into the uh, explant procedure itself? Well, you know, I know we talked about, you know, wanting to make sure that if at all possible that they're removed on block. And so, um, and, you know, as we said, the reason for that is because you don't know if there is a rupture, especially with say, uh, silicone implants, because that it's not liquid, it's not going to move, you know, it's not going to deflate like um, you know, a saline implant would if it were ruptured. And so you can have a rupture and everything kind of just stays at mostly in place. It may, may look a little off, but it at least stays in that, you know, um, in that capsule. And so when you cut that capsule open, you can have this like mass spillage of all that silicone material that just kind of gets right in through to the lymphatic system. And that is just the worst case scenario (laughs) because it's so sticky and it's, it's like, we don't even know if we can really truly get silicone out of the lymph without removing lymph nodes. And you never want to do that. We need our lymph nodes. (laughs) They're there for a reason. Um, and the more lymph nodes that are taken out, the more you, you, you have issues with lymphedema and just stagnant lymph. Um, And so that can become a real problem. And so reducing that risk by having them removed on block is really crucial. There are some really fabulous surgeons out there. I think one of them that is um, I saw recently is Dr. Chun. And he was 
showing a video of safe removal of silicone implants that were ruptured where he wasn't able to do it on block, but he was able to really isolate the, the silicone and protect the person from that silicone just going all over the place systemically. And so he, that is a surgeon I would say, okay, you know, I trust you. He is incredibly skilled. He's inc He's been doing this for a very, very long time and he's honed his skill. And so uh, you know, it may not be possible in every case to have it removed on block. And so going to someone like that, who is as skilled as he is, at least ensures that if it's not possible, he's doing his absolute best to protect you and, um, you know, has developed ways to work around that. And um, the reason it's important to remove all of the capsule is because the capsule can contain particles of silicone, bacteria, um, other contaminants, biofilm, um, things like that, that just are a continuous immune stimulant and more exposure to those toxins that we discussed, right? And so I have spoke with a number of women who went back to their original surgeon who put the implants in and, you know, maybe they removed them for free or maybe they were only charging like 1500 bucks or, you know, something really inexpensive to get them out. And it wasn't done right. And what ends up happening is they have to end up going back for another surgery with a different surgeon and it could be exploratory, you know, so it's just a very unnecessary surgery that you could avoid if you had done your due diligence. So I really want to encourage people to do the research, find someone who has the skill and the experience and will do the best thing for you. And, um, I, I just can't overemphasize that enough because it is in the long run going to cost you far more if you have to go back for a second surgery. <laughs> yeah. And if you're living in somewhat of a small city, maybe you have to travel to I go did. to someone who, yeah, who does it often, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of want to look around in your city. If you're looking around and okay, not a lot of people have breast augmentation or get rejuvenation where you live, you may need to go a little bit further out of your, your city and uh, actually travel to get someone who is, who is very skilled. Now on the flip side to this conversation, I don't like to recommend rejuvenation plastic surgery tourism, because if you have a problem, you want to be able to ring up that clinic and have them speak the same language as you. <laughs> and also what is it going to be like to do your follow-ups and things? I've trust me, I've had clients go to, uh, down south for a facelift and then I see them mm. and they're like oh take a look at my sutures Rachel how's everything looking and I'm seeing like residual threads left in oh wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> trust me I've seen it um, you want to have like culturally specific rejuvenation as well so an example of someone I saw was uh, they actually had a facelift done in an oriental country and they're a Caucasian woman so they ended up with like uh, oriental looking oh, face no. shape, which completely was inappropriate for her ethnicity. So there's all these things to think about when you're thinking about, okay, who's the best practitioner to do this? So that's why working with myself and Sarah, uh, that's really why I wanted to bring Sarah on the show is to share with you that yes, there is experts in the field of explanting and helping you work through this uh, because uh, breast implant illness, we're definitely hearing more and more about. Now, this isn't to freak people out. If you are finding that your implants aren't giving you any problems at all, you're not having any pain, you're not having any textural irregularities, 
or skin lesions, then sometimes leaving well enough alone isn't a bad idea. I've had a number of plastic surgeons relay that to me as well. But if you think something is a little bit off, you need to trust your intuition and first of all, clean up everything in your home and all of that. And if you've done that work and something still isn't quite right, uh, maybe that type of procedure just isn't quite right for your bodily constitution and genetic yeah. makeup and and all of that. So yeah, Sarah, and, uh, well, just to your point, I would say I that was me. Like I did all of the things when I started getting sick and I was really struggling with my health. I did everything you could possibly imagine. Every, I tried every diet. I tried every protocol. I tried all these things and, and I did get a little bit better, but it wasn't, you know, the life that I had known before implants. So, and that was kind of like that, that thing that pushed me over the edge of, all right, this is the next step. Like, I just need to do this. Well, good for you. And thank you so much for sharing your story with everyone here. <laughs> Sarah, where can people work with you? How can they learn more about you? How can they take some of your programs? So I, my website is a good place to start, and that's reversingbreastimplantillness.com. Um, I have a lot of, you know, blog posts there, educational resources, you know, other various types of resources there. Um and then I have um, a Instagram channel or not channel handle It's the same reversing breast implant illness. I have a Facebook page and I have a Facebook group, same name, reversing breast implant illness. I'm not very active. I will say on in Facebook, I, I may be moving away from Facebook. Um, I've been looking for a way out for so long, but there's just so many things that I am, so many groups I'm a part of in Facebook. It's hard to get away from it, but that is my goal this year is to move away from Facebook. So Instagram is a better place for social media. And then there, I have put out a lot of YouTube videos, get on my um, email list because I do send out a lot of things that way that, you know, I, I wouldn't otherwise share. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing all those resources and your website is in the description of this episode. So thank you, Sarah, for joining us here today on the Rachel Varga podcast. I uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out to everybody and an announcement. I am currently accepting new one-on-one -on -one clients and I invite you to schedule your consultation with me at rachelvarga.ca and go ahead and I invite you to use the promo code podcast 15 for 15% off of your booking with me. Uh, also another announcement, I'm starting up another skin camp in less than two weeks. So if you're wanting more of that in-depth pre-post rejuvenation guidance from me, uh, additional tips for giving yourself the best chance possible to uh, recover pre and post and really ways to integrate dermal rolling, advanced dermal rolling practices with you know some energy devices that I like to recommend for peptide absorption into the skin and, and all of that cool stuff. Uh, skin camps are really, I go a lot deeper in those programs on all of the different topics, skincare, lasers, rejuvenation. I all lay it out and give you all the information you need so that you can make as much of an informed decision as possible in the space of trying to age impossibly well for many years to come and really feel our best selves. But health is first and foremost, uh, the whole concept of um, pain for beauty. I think we need to throw that away and focus on health is beauty instead. So thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us here on the show. And if you have any questions for Sarah and I, just 
send me an email info at rachelvarga.ca and I can always forward it to Sarah as well. I'd love to hear from you all. Be sure to subscribe to the Rachel Varga YouTube channel, Facebook page on the podcast, hit the bell so that you know when new episodes are dropped. Like this video episode, share it with a friend and give Sarah some love and hang out with her on social media as well. Thanks, Sarah, for joining us today. And now we're going to have a little off-camera talk about <laughs> scarring and all that. So happy to help you. Thanks for joining us.